0: Radio advertising is good. Why should you advertise on the Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. While we are even home to Imus in the Morning. We also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities and a variety of music Talk Radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people whether you are in your car at work at home everyone has a radio and we are streamed live on the internet and past shows are podcasted so you the listener can play back your favorite shows over and over again the possibilities are endless so that my listeners is why you should advertise on the Talk Radio Network AM 1340
1: Quiet numbskulls, I'm broadcasting.
0: Hey listeners, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host, Robert, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Not only do we have one guest, we actually have two guests tonight, and we're going to be going over some of the really cool events that took place at Sebring and the Snowbird Nationals at uh, Bradenton Motorsports. So uh, let's see, we're going to still play some really cool music, a couple cool songs in here, so let's see if we can wind up that reel-to-reel. How are you doing, Lee? Pretty the,
2: well, Robert. How are you?
0: Pretty good. That's chilly out, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, it is. It is. Yeah, I wish I had some chili
0: right now. <laughs> I wish, yeah. Hot chili. You know, Texas chili does not have beans in it. Florida chili has beans in it. It's a southern thing. Did you know that Texas? Well, you chi- got to
2: have beans in it. I mean, you can't be just be eating nothing but meat all the time.
0: Yeah, meat and beef, and uh, it's cool stuff. But yeah. uh, anyway, and
2: all they're right. They're both protein.
0: Eh, I'm not a bean get lover. So, but anyway, <laughs> all right. Go ahead, fire up that uh, tape deck again. Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you might get a free drink. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater bro's pizzeria voted number one in the city of clearwater they're located at 547 south fort harrison avenue they have great new york style pizza as well as delicious lasagna spaghetti and meatballs manicotti linguini and if you're in the neighborhood for lunch they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers so call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olty create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes. What would you like on your pizza? Call Bro's Pizzeria, 727-441-6025. That's 727-441-6025. And tell them Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Okay, Lee. Hey, Lee. What did you think of that version of uh, "All Along the Watchtower"? I thought that was pretty good. That I was like...
2: interesting. I brought back some uh, some memories or some flashbacks or something. I think I had a an acid flashback at what <laughs> oh,
0: happened. Oh,
2: jeez! <laughs> <laughs> I started tripping.
0: Well, no, no, no. You would you would have if it would have been Jimi Hendrix. This is Dave Mason. Well, that came out in mid-70s. the mid well, seventies. It's more docile. Yeah,
2: but everybody's heard Jimi Hendrix's version a million times. That's we've true. Heard Dylan's live version and. You know, Dave Mason's version. Not a lot of us heard that. Yeah. Only people who were listening to.
0: Well, Dylan did it originally, right?
2: Yeah, I think he wrote it.
0: He wrote it. Okay. All right. Hey, do we got our special guest on the line there waiting? Yes, we do. Paul, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Hey, Paul. Welcome to the show. It's good to hear from you again. Uh, Whereabouts are you right now? You're somewhere between Clearwater and Orlando, right? Yep,
3: I'm almost to Orlando, going to the PRI
0: show this weekend. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll probably see you there because we'll be over there tomorrow, you know, uh, meeting and greeting, doing our PR stuff. But uh, So anyway, you were at the uh, Snowbird. I was at Sebring this weekend for the Legend of Motorsports, which was the vintage car race with Bobby Ray Hall and Brian Redman and Doc Bundy and all those guys, and and I tried to get over to visit you over at the Snowbird Nationals at uh Motorsports Park. So, uh, since I wasn't there, and you are like, uh, even though you're an alumni now, see, you know, because you're the guy that drives those 300-plus mile-an-hour, 13,000-horsepower, jet-powered choo-choo trains uh, on the drag strip, why don't you give us a little insight as to what uh, what, what took place this weekend over at uh, Bradenton, what we missed.
3: Well, it was a pretty good show. The weather was not too bad. It was a little on the cool side, but it was good for the blower cars, and uh, uh, I got there on... Uh, Actually, I got there on Tuesday night, and some guys running the track. It was uh, a Pro Mod uh, show, pretty much, and then they had the Night to Fire on Saturday night. But I got there on Wednesday, and we did some testing tuning on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and I got to work on some pretty cool uh, Pro Mod cars, Pro Mod automatic cars. They had two classes of Pro Mods. The Pro Mods went uh, eighth mile, or uh, quarter mile, and the Pro Mod... uh, uh automatics went eighth mile and uh i got to work on the uh a willy's and a 55 chevy and i had a great time and uh i think it was a 63 uh corvette one uh, uh pro mod automatics and then there was a dodge viper one uh, pro mods uh he had like 800 cubic inches of turbocharged but uh it was, it was a really good show and then on Saturday night we had all the jets going and we had two jet dragsters two jet funny cars Bob moats and a wheel standing school bus and then it was a the place was packed that was a really good show
0: so there was a ton of people there this weekend then in spite of the cold weather
3: oh, oh yeah it was packed on Saturday night Friday and Sunday was a little sprice on the people but it was still it was it was still a good turnout and It was a nice track, and you know it was a good time.
0: What kind of times were those uh, Pro Mods turning, the quarter-mile ones?
3: Uh, They were running uh, low sixes.
0: Well, that's pretty fast.
3: Around 240, and then uh, the Pro Mod Automatics at the eighth mile, they were running 180 at uh, low four-second runs.
0: Oh, wow. Were there any uh, pro stock cars there? Uh, No. No? Okay. Uh, what about street stock, super stock, all that, the other classes and gas classes? Any of that stuff was racing that weekend?
3: Yeah, they had a little, they had a little bit of bracket racing with them kind of cars, and then they had, uh, I don't know what the class was, but they had some alcohol uh, dragsters and uh, A-fuel dragsters and some Alters all running together in a class. Mm. So it was, uh, if you wanted to see some blown, big horsepowered cars, it was a good show.
0: Okay. Hey, in case you just tuned in, you tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, we've got our special guest, Paul Kelly. He's been on the show many times. He drives those 300-mile-an-hour, 13,000-horsepower uh, jet-powered uh, choo-choo trains. It's uh, Casey Jones and uh, the Chattanooga Choo-Choo and what's the name of the other one again? My mind just slipped me. I get a, a little brain. brain uh, Cannonball. Dead. Cannonball Express. That's it. Right. And uh, it's Team Steam Casey Jones, right? That's the website and that's the... Uh, the group. Of course, you guys weren't racing this weekend, though, were you? Because you took a little time off. and Because uh, you raced, yeah. what, a couple weekends over in Valdosta and in Orlando, right?
3: Yeah, uh, South Georgia Motor Speedway. And uh, that was my last race of the year. And it was kind of funny that I ended up at another drag race on my weekend off. But it was <laughs>
0: good. Huh. Hey, and now you got, you're got you going to Orlando to the PR sh- PRI show to pick up your boss, right, from the airport?
3: Yep, and uh, they're having uh, they're bringing out a new sanction body called the NJRA. It's all for jet cars, and it's going to be a pretty cool deal.
0: Wow! Now, how many jet cars are there in the country that actually race?
3: I'm not for sure. I we got the NHRA list about a year ago, and there was there's 63 active licensed drivers, but I think there's only like 25 of us out there at the. Right
0: now, twenty-five cars. So, with this new sanctioning body, there's a good possibility that there uh, that there might be some more jet-powered cars coming on the uh, horizon. There coming on the scene, right?
3: Yeah, it'd be nice. because I think they're bringing some sponsors in, and you know, it's, it's like I say, it was, they're bringing it out. So I'm not knowing what's going on, but it's, it should be good.
0: Okay. So, in other words, the jet-powered cars really aren't competition cars; they're more exhibition, correct?
3: Yep, it's all exhibition.
0: Okay, well that's good because you know it's it's a big thing. It's a big attraction. and People love watching those jet-powered uh, vehicles basically light up the track. I mean, you can see that that flame a mile away or so, right, Paul? Yep.
3: Yep. The, the sports and racers are the backbone of the industry, but uh, the, when they bring the jet cars in, it usually packs the place and helps up every track that we go to.
0: Well, that's good. So, what's uh, what's the first uh, race on your schedule for the uh, 2011 season? Where's uh, Team Steam uh, and Casey Jones going to be, and the Cannonball Express and the Chattanooga Choo Choo?
3: We got one in West Palm Beach in March, but I think we might have one earlier at uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi.
0: Okay. Well, when you get down here and you're heading to Florida the next time, uh, we'll certainly try to have you on the air, and you can talk about it a little bit. We'll either, you know, if you're in the area and you're passing through, come on in the studio. If not, we'll do another phone interview for you. How's that? That'd be great. Okay. Well, I want to say thanks for coming on the air for a few minutes and tell us a little bit about the uh, what went on at the Snowbird Nationals and uh, some of the highlights and, uh, you know, the pro-mod deal going on there, and then, of course, your stuff. And uh, when you see Casey, tell him I said hi, and we'll probably uh, see you guys uh, tomorrow at the PRI show. That'll be good. All right. Take care. Thanks for calling in, Paul. Okay, bye. Bye. Well, Lee, we got another song ready to queue up on that? Yes, uh, sir. We do, okay. uh,
2: Everybody should know what this is.
0: Oh, yeah, this is a cool song. I like this. See, we mix it up here a little bit in Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We don't even play just hot, really cool, vintage, nostalgic, hard rock music. We play a little, we have a little culture around here. We play a little classical music, a little jazz, a little progressive. So you never know what, just like last week, we played uh, that song from uh, the French film, A Man and a Woman. We did that for Brian Oh yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Okay, so uh, everybody sit back and listen, and our next guest will be on the air shortly. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Golfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Barn Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Barn Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Barn Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars at the WTAN AM, 13, AM 1340 radio station here. And we've got a special guest with us this evening, and I will tell you a little bit about him. He is an author. He's a race car driver, and that is in vintage race cars and uh, track cars and GT cars. He's also been labeled the world's fastest novelist, okay? He's done some freelance writing for AutoWeek, Week, uh, for Alpha Owners uh club of america and for on track magazine and uh... he's calling in from chicago land of the the windy city right chicago's the windy city so uh... without further ado i'd like to welcome my guest this evening Bert levy Bert, are you there yeah i'm there but it's not windy up here it's cold oh it's cold okay so it's <laughs> how about windchill city <laughs> yeah I,
1: I i was as you know i was in uh... sebring for the race last weekend i left Oh, it was getting on toward dusk. I think it dropped all the way down in the 60s. And when we landed in Chicago, the stewardess said over the uh, PA system on the airplane, Welcome to Chicago. It's 15 degrees. So,
0: not so good to be home. No, no. no. Especially when it was what? It was about 60-something, 70-something. Uh, we actually had a spectacular, perfect Beautiful race weekend, weather. didn't we?
1: Beautiful weather, and it was a good turnout of cars. It was a lot of fun.
0: What do you uh, what do you think of the Legends of Motorsports uh, event this well, weekend? Well, you know in Sebring? It's, a,
1: it, it's I just wrote a column on it that went off to the magazine uh, Vintage Motorsport that I write for regularly went off today and you know it's their first year and uh, Sebring certainly looked like uh, like a much better deal for them. It's starting to get a decent turnout of cars and the organization and hospitality were were wonderful. Um, but you really needed to track the size of Sebring. You really need a larger turnout of cars to make a real show out of it. That said, I mean they're, it's their first year, and Bobby Ray Hall um, and his partners certainly are expert in motorsports. And we'll just have to wait and see what the future brings.
0: Now, were you able to attend any of the other uh, Legends of Motorsports events? They had
1: no, I had a I had a new book launch in July, and I had my schedule was backed up. Um, I was all over the country from California to Topeka, Kansas, to Lime Rock, Connecticut, to Atlanta. Um, I I just couldn't do it this year. Uh, As a matter of fact, um, (laughs) I'm getting to the age where I I love it, but it's almost too much for me. We were gone every weekend, but I think three from July through beginning of November, and that's a lot of travel.
0: Okay, now this is basically to promote your books, correct?
1: Well, I had it, it's it's a it's a complete scam. Um, for the magazine I write for, for each issue, I race a different car and write a story about it. I mean, a historic car, mm-hmm. and so we do most a lot of my book sales at track events. And so, like for instance, at Topeka, I went to the uh, Heartland Vintage Grand Prix. Uh, got a Lotus Super Seven to drive for the weekend, and we actually we actually won a race with it, um, and signed books and did a little work on the PA as you saw me do it, uh, at at Sebring. Sebring. So, I'm doing about three or four different things each weekend, and part of it's to promote the books, and part of it's to do magazine stories, and part of it's because I still desperately love to race. Um, I did my first. My first driver school in 1970, and it's it's one of two things in my life where the realization of it turned out to be even better than all the anticipation and dreaming that went beforehand. And and I don't think I have to be any more detailed about what the other one might be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, yeah, that that bring, now getting back to the magazine, the freelance stuff that you that you. Uh, a magazine that you write for? Now you we're talking Vintage Motorsport, which is based out of Vintage Lakeland. Motorsport.
1: They're based uh, out of Lakeland, Florida, mm-hmm. and I've been with them. well, oh, there was one brief period when I went over to another magazine where they they made me an offer that uh, couldn't really refuse. Um, but I started with Vintage Motorsport in 1980 going to say it was 85 or 86, and in those days, vintage racing was in its infancy, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd already uh, raced quite a bit with SCCA and amateur groups in the Midwest, uh, actually did fairly well after I'd learned what not to do, and uh, I found that I could I could write my way into cars that I, that I could never dream of owning, and the first... The first story I did for Vintage Motorsport, a guy who's passed away now named Joe Marchetti, who was a Ferrari trader in Chicago, owned a a very famous Italian restaurant, and actually started the big Chicago Historic Weekend at Road America in July, which goes on to this day, albeit under a different name. Uh, He gave me a Ferrari 250 LM to drive, which was the sister car, the car that won Sebring in '65, And... You know, it was way out of the league of anything I'd driven before, and you approach it kind of trembling and thinking, my God, you know, I'm used to Alfa Romeos and Triumphs and things like that. I'll never be able to operate a piece of machinery like this. And yet it turned out that what makes Ferraris such such fantastic endurance cars is that they're very easy to drive, and they, they're they forgiving, they make uh, you know, if you make a mistake, they do their best to, to help you out of it. And oh, I, I just fell in love with that card. It's still one of my very favorites. And I wrote the story. The magazine liked it. I liked it. So we started doing it for every issue. And that was, what, 86. So I don't even want to think about how many years ago that is.
0: So basically, you got, you started, um, when you started writing for Vintage Motorsports, you had done some freelance stuff for like these other ma- these publications I mentioned, yeah, I like wrote, Auto.
1: Uh, the first story I ever hold, uh, sold was to Auto Week. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say that. I did some stories for Alpha Owner, then I did Auto Week. Uh, mainly at, at that point in my life, I, I wanted to be a professional racing driver. And I thought, this is a way to get my name around. So I wrote them some stories for them. Uh, some nostalgic about, you know, an old TR3 we had when I was 16. And uh, one about the June sprints. And then Joe Marchetti gave me this uh, this uh, short wheelbase Berlin edited drive. And I wrote my very first ride mood story ever for Auto Week about driving this car that was and is one of my very, very favorite cars. Then I did the same thing with a different Ferrari for vintage motorsport, and I was off and running. There was a brief period when I wrote for a magazine that's not around anymore called On Track, which was kind of a news magazine um, about racing, similar to the original Auto Week and Compress. And they had, I had written some stuff for them, and they had contacted me about being their pro race reporter, uh, in the Midwest, because magazines are notoriously cheap, and they always want to get a local guy so don't have to pay the airfare. And uh, at the time, I was campaigning an Alpha Spider, and I said, "Nah, you know, I'm I'm a racer, not a writer. I uh, nah, I'm not interested." And then in the spring, uh, my mechanic Eric. He was actually my landlord's son, and wound up being the alpha mechanic at the dealership I worked for at the time. Um, wanted to go through driver's school. His car wasn't ready, so he borrowed my car and he rolled it over on his very first lap. And neither of us had the money to fix it at the time, so I called the magazine back and I said, "Do hey, you remember that uh, writing deal you were talking about? Because because it was a way to stay involved." Right, and. It was neat. It was actually very good for me because it got me used to writing for deadlines and trying to boil things down a little bit. And I also met a lot of oh people like Gene Felton, who become lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I was writing about them, and then we've met again on the vintage circuit. Um, he was there this and, weekend,
0: racing yeah. at Nova. Oh,
1: uh, Gene! Gene's a
0: stitch. He's, He's 75 years old and still crawls in and out of stock cars.
1: Yeah, and and he doesn't look it. And no. I'll tell you, this guy. Um, he he didn't, I mean, he had some money, but nothing like a lot of the teams he was running against. He mm-hmm. uh, was one of those independent guys that liked to run his own deal, very mechanically oriented. Um, he won the Kelly Girl Championship. He won an IMSA. Then had a terrible wreck at Riverside, Riverside. Mm-hmm. in the Trans Am where his, uh, his voice box was crushed, his right. larynx. Which is why he has that hoarse voice today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he came back from it, and he's the guy that really introduced stock cars to vintage racing.
0: Right, his stock car uh, organization, right? That's his.
1: Yeah, and uh, initially he was just kind of a used car lot. You know, he he would bring a stock car to a vintage race and really wow everybody with the, its performance. And. I've been fortunate to drive a couple of them, and, and they're huge, but they're amazingly agile and solid and uh, very safe. Expensive to run from the standpoint that the motors are expensive, and you used up a lot of um, what we call consumables, which would be like brake pads, tires, fuel, and so forth, yeah, you know. But... Um, they're magnificent in the end, surprisingly good on a road course.
0: Well, uh, some of them are set up for right and left-hand turns. So the road course cars like a Watkins Glen car or a Riverside car right. or a Sonoma raceway. Well, you
1: can do, basically, you can make anything out of anything if you That's put true. enough effort into it. But when, a, when they build, there's basically three configurations uh, to stock cars. There's a road course car, there's a short track car, and there's a super speedway car. Right. And the the biggest differences have to do with where you put the weight and how you set up the chassis. A, a short oval car is going to be set up to naturally want to turn left, and you would have a different package for a flat oval uh, than you would for, you know, someplace like Bristol where it's, you know, steeply banked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not much of a roundy, round guy. Not that I don't love it. I do love it. I just don't have much oboe experience. And I've got just enough to realize that it's a whole separate discipline. It's a, it's like learning. You know, if you play the oboe, it's like trying to learn a violin. It's just, it, it's still music, but it's a completely different uh, thing to learn how to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell us a little bit about uh, your books now. Um, You got into... Well, go to the very beginning, how you got involved in the cars, and then what led to your first book.
1: Well, we had... um, I was always a a gearhead, and I wanted to race from the time I was little. I I don't know why, because neither of my parents were into it, but I had a... My older brother had a friend that thought that European car racing was just the coolest thing, and this guy... um, what, he was three, four years older than me, and he rode around town on a little blue Vespa motor scooter and wore sunglasses even at night, and he was into jazz. So I thought he was the coolest thing around. And he's the guy that turned me on to, you know, Monaco and Monza and the Milamilia and Le Mans, and I thought, God, this is really cool stuff. And went to my first race in 58, and I was just a, my folks had to take me, and I was just a kid you know, looking through the fences with my finger curled around the wire and thinking, God, wouldn't it be neat to be out there one day? That was at a track that's long gone called Meadowdale here near Chicago. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The car that won that day was uh, the Rev. Scarab, which I still think is probably the most beautiful sports car ever built. Mm -hmm. And two years ago, I was able to actually drive that exact car at Rumbling Road Raceway to do a story, which was a just a thrill. But at any rate, uh, I started, did my first driver's school in 1970 in a $600 TR3. I kept at it. Uh, my wife and I were introduced on a blind date in 74. And I got an Alpha then. So now I had a, an Italian wife and an Italian race car. Mm-hmm. Good combination. And we started winning some races. I'd done it long enough to... As I said before, know what not to do.
0: And this was an SCCA, correct?
1: Initially, it was Midwest Council. It SCCA didn't come along and for me until eighty-three. Okay. Midwest Council is a group that we have locally. I don't know if you have anything like that in Florida. There's another one on the East Coast called ERMA in California. They have Cal Club. Basically, Midwest Council runs about a thirteen race season. Um, it's about comparable to SCCA Regional, but it only runs in our area. Uh, and I wound up winning uh, five championships there and had two undefeated seasons and started to think, well, you know, I, if I can do this, I can run SCCA. So in 83, I, but then I had some sponsorship from Alfa Romeo. Not a lot, but some. And we went racing with uh, SCCA I think I did did eight nationals. We won four of them, set two-lap records, went to the runoffs at Road Atlanta, had a miserable time there. And then the following spring is when my my mechanic rolled the car over. And I honestly didn't know if I'd ever get to race again. Then I got hired on by a team out of Dayton to do the Firehawk and Escort Series, and I did that for a couple of years. Um, And it was neat, but... I'm, I missed the camaraderie in the cars uh the you know from my early days and then I discovered vintage racing and I thought boy this is really where you belong and found that I could write my way into cars you know that I couldn't afford and just to write stories about them I thought that was pretty neat
0: Is that where the term mooch ride comes from yes, Tell us, us about ride that. mooch <laughs> yeah, ride mooch
1: Yeah and the mooch. Mooch. <laughs> Foremost, world's foremost ride, mooch. Okay. I, I've driven literally hundreds of different race cars, and I've probably won a hundred races in all all sorts of different cars, from Alpines to alphas to Bug Eye Sprites to Ferraris to Lotus. You know, you name it. And I I also teach for um, a couple of the car clubs, and the oh, the Lotus and Lamborghini dealer has me teach for them when they. Have track days up here. But at any rate, my my sponsor at the time was Joe Marchetti, and he sent me down to, um, with this Alpha I built that was very successful in its day. We went down to the Bahamas Vintage Grand Prix in 19. I went there three different years, but I think it was in 86, and I'd been thinking about writing a novel about car racing. Because I was a writer by then, I, I had a little bit of a following, and I always hated all the fiction I'd ever read about car racing. I just didn't think it was—I didn't think it was accurate, and it didn't really capture the the gallows humor and the fun and the pranks and the camaraderie and the garage nights and the long toes and all the things that I knew were part of it. And so, sitting around the pool with a, a really brutal rum hangover, I just started working on it, and I'd work on it. You know, through the winter, and then I'd racing season had come, and I'd kind of put it up on a shelf, and then in the fall I'd take it down again. And it took me eight years because I kept—I I didn't really know how to write a novel, and uh, I finally finished it, and I thought it was pretty good, you know. And of course, if I didn't think it was good, I was stupid to keep at it. And I sent it off to just about every publisher in New York. And a couple of them liked it, but none of them would publish it. And I had called this one publisher who hadn't hadn't yet rejected it. I got this lady on the phone, and she said, uh, "Oh, it's a wonderful story, but we can't publish it. There's no market. Those people don't read." And that really ticked me off. You know, those people don't read. Hey, I know those people. They're not. And I got so angry that. Did I? I got into one of these. I'll show you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my whole business plan was I'll show you. So I told my wife. I said, I think there is a market for this. I think we should publish this. And she said, With whose money? And I said, Well, we don't have money to do. It. I mean, it was about a twenty grand deal to to do it. And so she backed me up. We took out a second mortgage and published it ourselves in 1994 sold out two printings. It got picked up by a major publisher. They sold a printing. We bought the rights back from them uh, when we did the second book. And that first book, The Last Open Road, is now going into its eighth printing. And it's, I mean, I can't, it's sold over 50,000 copies. It's become very popular.
0: Where did the title Uh, come from, The Last Open Road, the name of your first book?
1: You know, the the era is the 50s, and I think of, I grew up in the 60s, mm-hmm. so we look back at the 50s as kind of a dim bulb generation that, you know, didn't have a clue. You know, crew cuts, Eisenhower, uh, you know, just the earliest stages of rock and roll. And as I look back on it, that was probably the last innocent, confident generation that this country will ever see. Mm. I mean, the the 24-7 news cycle was not yet bringing all the world's misery into our living rooms every night. Uh, there was no computer communications. There was, we certainly were blissfully unaware of some of the social problems that now occupy Preoccupy our national conscience. Mm-hmm. We just kicked the world's butt in World War two or at least that was our version of it. Uh, our economy was strong. I mean, um, it, 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 it's an era that's easy to look back on with rose colored glasses and say, geez, weren't things simpler there and, and more fun? And it was a time when there were no purpose built road racing tracks, and so. All the races uh, initially in the late '40s and early '50s were run
0: on airports.
1: Right. Well, originally on closed-off country roads. Okay. uh, Around Watkins Glen, New York, and Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, Golden Gate Park out in San Francisco,
0: Palm Springs.
1: Yeah, and that was dangerous in in the airport era. Although Sebring was probably the first one of the first airport races. Uh, of any kind and remain so to this day. <clears throat> the the thing that saved road racing in about 1953. Uh, there's a character you probably remember as I think he was George Wallace's running mate in his bid for presidency, uh, General Curtis Lemay.
0: Curtis Lemay, right? Is, and yeah.
1: Curtis Lemay was. Uh, whatever you may think of his politics, his pretty interesting character. Mm-hmm. He was an absolute nut about sports cars. Uh, he owned an Allard, he owned an Arnold Bristol Coupe, of which I think they only built three. Um, and it was his concept uh, that was the time of the Strategic Air Command. right And it was his concept that if his pilots engaged in racing. It would sharpen their skills for dogfights. And he also had the idea that the servicemen should have these project centers uh, on the bases where they could work on pet projects as a form of relaxation, although most of the pet projects turned out to be race cars. And he, current General LeMay, sold to the Joint Chiefs of Staff the idea that they ought to host sports car races on these sack bases and had the servicemen work them on the government's nickel, and all the money that was brought in from spectators would go toward funding these servicemen's uh, recreation centers on the bases. And his theory was that uh, his pilots would take on the the sporty car races, most most of whom were wealthy upper-crust types, and he thought, well, my guys can beat these guys uh, and race against them. Well, it turned out that upper-crust or not, they had the experience with the cars, and I don't think that any General LeMay's pilots ever wound up winning anything significant. But because the The state legislatures at the time were cracking down on racing on open roads uh, because there was an accident at Elkhart where uh, somebody got a broken leg, but there was a much worse accident at Watkins Glen where a seven-year-old boy was killed, uh, sideswiped right on Franklin Street by the just past the start-finish line. and. It made the uh, uh, center spread in Life magazine and was terrible publicity for the sport. And so General LeMay really, and and the airport races, really saved the sport at a time when there were no purpose-built tracks. They were just starting the very first of them. And so that was the last open road. It's that that lost innocence, that lost generation, that lost... uh, you know, the, the innocence of saying, oh, we'll just close off some country roads and put on a car race, and uh, um, it'll be fine because everybody will be careful enough that it'll be safe.
0: And then you, the character, the central character is Buddy Palumbo in the book, right? And he's... Yeah,
1: he's, he's, he, I love this guy. You know, he, he's so real to me now. Buddy is a 19-year-old gas station mechanic living in Passaic, New Jersey. And his father is a union shop steward at a big chemical plant over in Newark. And typical union guy he wants his son to come into the union and, you know, get a nice, safe, secure union job with all the benefits and everything. But buddy has got the old, you know, gasoline in his veins and he likes going, plus his dad's kind of a jerk. He likes going over and hanging around the Sinclair where his buddy Butch Bohunk, who's a retired marine hardhead diver, where he works as a mechanic, um, and also the guy that owns the station, Old Man Finzio, who's this crusty, grizzled old guy. His niece, Julie Finzio, is the love interest, and she's kind of a tough, streety, uh, voluptuous Italian, you know, blue-collar Italian, and, uh, you know, you love her, you hate her, and you're scared to death of her all at the same time. <laughs> Uh, and, and she's a character, as the others are, that continues through all of the books.
0: Well, the other guy that I liked at the first story was, and I had a chance just briefly to read it, and that was, I like Butch Bohunk, okay, because he's like the dirty, hairy type mechanic mm-hmm. that you got in the very first chapter, and it's a very, very interesting chapter. And, and well, thank now, you. the whole book, basically, and now you've written subsequent novels or subsequent stories, so it's just like an ongoing yeah, story that goes into Right in the...
1: now it's a five book series, okay. the first three, uh, the Last Open Road, Montezuma's Ferrari and the Fabulous Trash Wagon are basically a trilogy about Buddy growing up and coming of age. Uh the third book or the fourth book, Tolly's Ghost, although it's got the same narrator, picks up right where the last one ends, it actually the the focus of the of the narrative is one of the other characters, this rich kid named Cal Carrington, who He's one of these real rich guys that never has any money in his pocket. Tremendous talent, kind of a prankster, uh, goof-off guy. Uh, and, and when they when I introduce him, it says uh, it never seemed to bother him that he never had anything but lint in his pockets. But that maybe that's because it was a hundred percent cashmere lint.
2: <laughs> and
1: uh, that fourth book follows him. And then the fifth book takes the same group of characters, but goes off in a whole new direction again. So,
0: And the title of that book is what?
1: The 200-mile-an-hour Steamroller. That's okay. new this year. I've uh, been on a book tour with it since we introduced it in July at Road America, and uh, the response has been, I, I mean, I, unbelievable.
0: What's the um, uh, Pot Side Companion about now? That's a book that you Oh, were... that's
1: a collection of short stories. Those okay. are Usually when I sign that book, I, I sign these stories are all true, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, there's a story of, oh, when I sold fancy cars for a living, I worked at a dealership in Chicago that uh, had Volkswagen, Alfa Romeo, Mercedes-Benz, and Rolls-Royce. And I had a Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow convertible taken from me at gunpoint on a test drive. So that story's in there,
0: okay.
1: And now, uh, there's a story about how I caused the most expensive accident the Skip Barber Racing Series had ever seen. Oh, so there's a lot of stuff in there. But it's that one comes with a money back guarantee. If it doesn't make you laugh out loud, <laughs> you get your money back.
0: <laughs> and, and, and. Now, what's the uh, the if somebody wants to get a hold of you and get these books, how would they go about doing it, Bert?
1: Well, uh, best way is to go to our website. It's www.lastopenroad. All one word. Or just Google The Last Open Road, you'll find it. Um, And there's this store on there where you can buy everything, but you'll also, if you Google The Last Open Road, you'll find a lot of reviews of the books. uh, And certainly... I'm going to tell you they're great, but you can get other people's opinion as well and see what you know what you think.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I read this first chapter, okay, because that's all I got to. Ch- and then a little bit mm-hmm. of the uh, the um, pot side. But what was interesting is all the jargon and I won't go into it okay because some of it's not fit for for, for radio but it you is think? funny well yeah you know it's kind of like it's it's garage talk it's junkyard jargon basically but I'll tell you what it was very interesting It's very humor and the thing was it was so real that just keep you interested you just want to keep- and I'm not a real book reader you know a novel reader I like you know, inf- um, you know uh, reference type materials and stuff like that but this book kind of piqued my interest so I am definitely matter of fact I'll commit to reading the whole book because it is really interesting and you can just relate to it those of us that race cars or been around cars or been in garage. I mean, the stories. Even with the old crusty guy, the the check. You know, she was cool. The thing about the the mechanic. You know, and the stories and how he got involved in the crash. Everybody has a story, very similar to that. But anyway, that's really really a good book, and I urge and encourage everybody to get a hold of uh, Bert's books. The first one, The Last Open Road. Check out his website uh, again, which lastopenroad.com. is lastopenroad.com. Right. And then, uh, Bert, I will probably... And thanks
1: so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm,
0: I'm glad you did. And then would you would you be willing to come on again? Because we didn't get oh, absolutely. to... We, we, we didn't absolutely. Absolutely. We only touched the tip of it. And, of course, we yeah. want to mention our friends over, uh, Tammy and them, over at uh, Vintage Motorsport. If you want Vintage Motorsport Magazine, pick it up at any of the bookstores, Barnes & Noble,
1: yeah, Borders. Yeah, great, great magazine, coffee table quality, good photography. And in spite of me writing for it, it's got pretty good
0: content. Okay. Well, anyway, Bert... Uh, probably I'll see you at the next next race someplace. I'll you be know? there. All right. Thanks for coming on the air. I appreciate thanks
1: it. Thanks so
0: much, Robert. Okay, bye bye. How are we doing there, Lee? We're doing pretty good. Anyway, hey, I got a couple updates, a couple shows coming up. Remember this weekend, the PRI show in Orlando. Okay. Uh, Sunday, we got the Porsche's in the park at St. Armand's Key. Uh, also on the eleventh oh, excuse me, that's yeah, that's Sunday. And then the eleventh we have Mason's Christmas wish at Gator Ford. Okay, if you guys want to go check out a really cool car show and see Mason Dixon. Uh, it's testing two night, Sunshine Drag Strip. Uh, again, it's Wednesday night, so we got uh, open mic night at Naughty Nancy's. That's the uh, right behind the studio here, off of uh, it's on Eldred Street. Right, at, that's uh what is that? A quarter mile north of Drew Street or Drew, right? That's Drew. Oh, Drew, quarter mile north of Drew, off Myrtle Drew. on the trail. Is it Drew? Yeah, Drew Street. Yeah, that's right. It's I should about know a half that. half mile north. Because back in the old days when I went to Saint Petersburg Junior College, we called it Drew U or Coachman High because it was on Coachman and Drew Street. So I should know that. And I've lived here what since '71. At any rate, and then, uh, oh, the big show that you guys want to put on your calendar, it's next year. It's the 30th of January. It's called the Devro kaiser Show at Sarasota Square Mall. So that's a cool show. So make sure everybody checks that out. Uh, Again, if you want to email us, email us at golfstreamradio at gmail.com if you want to send us any kind of questions or whatever. I know we had kind of a crowded show tonight, but it was a great show. I want to thank my guest, Bert. I want to thank Paul for coming on the air. Lee, thanks for doing your thing. And uh, everybody tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week same bat time same bat station we say that course because dan dempsey was on our show and he did the original bat cycle for the tv show batman so we can actually get away with saying that okay so uh let's see uh, what else we got then i guess that's about it you know um everybody drive safe uh try to attend some of these uh shows that are coming up and be sure to check out all the sponsors that i have that i advertise on the show they got great food the great restaurants crappy's beach walk bro's pizza the Rib Shack—they got their new location on Fort Harrison. You got Naughty Nancy's—great food. Uh, you know, all these places are cool. Don't forget uh, Kotaka's Towing. Next time your car breaks down, if I can't get you, go to Kotaka's Towing, and uh, we'll we'll advertise here in a second, and we'll get a phone number. It's 447-1952. and uh, we'll see you guys next week or some of the functions later, guys.